0: If you have student loans, you might have done the analysis to try to figure out, should you be filing joint or separate when it comes to your taxes, which would then help obviously your student loan payments and potentially have higher forgiveness if you're going for PSLF. Well, I'm excited because this is our fourth out of five weeks in August that we're doing all about tax. And this episode is all about, should you be filing married, filing separate or jointly and what physicians need to know when making that decision? We're going to be going over some advantages some disadvantages as well as some other things that you need to know about when you are potentially going to file joint or separate so of course i have on our cpa our co-founder at physician tax advisors john mccarthy on to discuss these things and i'm really excited to get into them but please remember that this is for educational purposes only this is not financial planning this is not specific advice investment advice or tax advice, please make sure you reach out to your CPA, your family financial planner, your attorney, or we would love to chat with you. We are so excited to have launched physician tax advisors this August. So if you are a physician wanting to actually work with a CPA that is doing proactive planning and not reactive, hopefully saving you some money and doing some real tax planning, we would love to chat with you. I know John and the entire team would love to work with you. You can check it out at PhysicianTaxAdvisors.com. All right, let's jump in, hang out with John on our fourth of five shows this month on tax. What's up, John? Welcome back. This fourth time in, I love this, four times that we have you on in a row. We're still going to get you next week as well, but let's talk some tax.
1: Yeah, I want to know when I start earning commissions. Even though that's taxable income, I guess that's okay, but uh yeah, when do I get like royalty fees for being on?
0: That doesn't have it. That means the podcast actually have to make money. I do that? Come on, you know this. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to be talking on married filing separate versus married filing joint. When you should do it, what you need to know because I get this question a ton, right? It's hey, I'm trying to figure out my best repayment options on my student debt. And one of the things I've been told or I've read or I've heard or whatever it is, is I should look at filing separate because of X, Y, Z reason. And those reasons may be valid, but then they never think through the tax side of it because it's super complicated. Of course, that's one, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on is to talk through this. Other one is if you're in repay, it doesn't matter. Like it's counted together. So don't think you can play this potential game with your student loans. Filing joint or separate. Just want to state that like in the very beginning of the show, just so no one gets confused. But from a filing joint or filing separate, there almost is no benefit to filing separate if we're excluding student loans out of this, right? This is why this is such a hot topic for physicians, is because the debt burden. I mean, our average client's got 300000 of student loan debt. Are there other uses, other cases that would make sense for the general population to think about this?
1: Yeah, it's it's a very valid point that you know most of the clients that we have I would say the vast majority of them are always going to come out better from a married filing joint perspective from, when we look at it from a truly tax perspective. There are a few edge cases where married filing separate can make sense from a truly tax perspective. One of the areas that we see is around itemized deductions, specifically if you have a spouse for instance that has a lot of medical expenses and the other spouse does not. There are some edge case scenarios and you really have to run the numbers to be sure if you're going to fall into this bucket or not. But there are some cases where with those itemized deductions being unequal between the partners where you can devise something where you come out better from a tax perspective, filing separate. That's one area we see. Another one is depending on the state you are in. There are a few states in the country that have a a very unequal set of tax brackets for married filing separate and married filing joint. Ohio, where I'm at uh is one of those states, uh, which is why I'm kind of a little sensitive to it, but we can see some clients that are Ohio residents come out better doing married filing separate just for the state benefit. So it can actually overcome the detriment, which we normally see on the federal side. And the state savings actually makes up for that and actually provides a couple hundred dollars of savings overall. So there are some edge cases out there. You really have to run the numbers to be sure.
0: Yeah. When it comes to student debt specifically, Right. The idea, this concept of filing joiner or separate is purely driven on the student debt side, especially with these physicians listening, is that if you filed separately and it was your income that was counted and not your spouse and you're going for public service loan forgiveness, then your payments would be lower means that every month your debt likely is going higher, which would be good in this case, because then that means more is ultimately forgiven you had lower payments, so you paid less to pay down your student debt. It gets tricky, though, when we start looking at, from a tax standpoint, are you going to be paying significantly more in tax that it doesn't matter what's forgiven from your student debt piece, you ultimately paid more money to Uncle Sam in the form of taxes. So there's this big balance, and again, it's just running the numbers. And this, I find, is really tough to run the numbers by yourself right but it's something to be said on it is a viable strategy it could work it most likely won't work but it could work in some cases so let's talk through some of the advantages i guess if you were in that scenario like what would be an advantage other than potentially paying less in student debt that could come from married finally separate
1: yeah, so a couple things to keep in mind. Let's define our terms a little bit because uh, this is another area that I see is often confused. So what is married? What does married really mean from a tax perspective? Cuz the IRS maybe has a little bit of a different definition than you and I might think of in terms of, of who's married. They are looking at your status as of December 31st. So you can be married all the way from January 1 to December 30th and get divorced on December 31st and you are not married. For IRS purposes, so you cannot file married filing joint or married filing separate because you had 364 days of marriage that year. They don't care; that's their cutoff is December 31st.
0: That was a really horrible New Year's Eve party.
1: <laughs> it probably is. Yeah, but but we do see it often confused. There's no part year status. You're either married or you're not on December 31st. Um, so we start there. Now, in terms of you know, some of the other benefits potentially for filing married filing separate. A lot of times we'll see this come up for couples that might be separating. So if you are in a contentious situation with your spouse, even if you're not separating, if you don't quite trust their income tax return, perhaps you've seen their filings in the past. If you file jointly with them, you are jointly and severably liable for whatever's on that return. So, you know, if you have just a part-time job and you don't quite trust your spouse's uh, accounting for their income and deductions, you're signing up to be 50/50 owners for whatever's on that return. So, it's an important thing to keep in mind and, and we see especially in contentious situations that clients will choose to file married filing separate just because uh, you know that way they can isolate their own liability for just their return items and not their spouse's.
0: Yeah, what John's saying specifically is that if you don't trust that they're maybe writing off too many things or they can't provide it. And if you were to get audited and they fines that Hey, these deductions weren't actually valid and tax is owed. You're signing up to be part of that tax liability that you are going to now have to cover your portion of the tax, which does not sound fun if you already know that things are on a rocky road. So John, now what are, and this is a long list <laughs> but what are some of the disadvantages? And then maybe let's go over some of these pieces, right? I know there's a lot, and so let's try to unpack it individually in terms of the disadvantages to filing separate versus filing joint, assuming that everyone is happy and it's rainbows and sunshine in the marriage.
1: Yep, so there's a number of deductions and credits that we have to take a look at with each client that can go away if you file married filing separate. So, you know, these can have varied type of impact depending on your tax situation. First one we can talk about real quickly child tax credits. Married filing joint, you can receive a $2,000 per child tax credit up to $400,000 of earnings. That gets split in half if you're filing married filing separate. So, you know, a lot of times what we'll see there is some planning that would need to be done and Claiming the children on one of the spouses, perhaps if they're going to be underneath that income threshold. So, you know, when you do get into this married filing separate scenario, it really pays to look at the numbers a couple different ways and run some different scenarios to see if you can work around some of these things. The child tax credit is one of those areas. Uh, A big one that we see as a detriment is IRA deductions and contributions. So married filing separate makes it very difficult for people to qualify for IRA contributions. The ability to contribute phases out at $10,000 of AGI, which essentially uh, eliminates uh, (laughs) almost all of our clients immediately right off the bat. So it's very difficult to do both a traditional IRA as well as a Roth IRA contribution because of this.
0: Yeah, I want you to make sure that we drive home this point, right? Is even residents you make more than $10,000 a year. You guys are still way underpaid. I remember those times. But you still make more than 10,000, so even if you're going to try to play games with island join or separate when you're a new attending, $10,000 is not that much income. So, if one spouse stays at home and does not work and takes care of kids, which is I think a far more difficult job, then that might make sense for them. But that now phases the actual physician out of pretty much everything. So I just want to make sure we drive home that point that there's no fun backdoor routes. There's no other contributions like you are phased out there. It is do not pass go.
1: Another area that we run into as a disadvantage is the dependent care credit. This is uh, something that's not allowed on a married filing separate return. And what we find is, you know, a lot of clients will have taken that as an FSA deduction through work and then they decide, hey, we're going to file separately this year. And now we've got to add that income back in. So it wasn't taxed on your paycheck when it came out because your employer doesn't know how you're going to file at the end of the year. But then when we get to the return, we kind of have to be the bad guy and say that, uh, unfortunately, they can't take that deduction. And, oh, by the way, now you've got a little more income to report on your return this year.
0: Yeah, accounts are always the bad guy, right? And so what we're trying to do with the physician tax advisors is to limit us being the bad guy, right? And do some of the proactive planning. So the a lot of this stuff that you're hearing that we've talked about for weeks now, but especially on this show, if you're trying to put this together, file joint, file separate, this is very proactive. This is not the tax year rolls over, it's now middle of January or whatever, you're giving your tax guy or gal all the info and says, hey, work your magic. There's not much you're gonna be able to do. Can't make any of those real changes. So this is proactive planning, completely proactive planning on that piece.
1: Yeah. So there's a few other areas, you know, these are relatively minor, unless one of them apply to you, you know, around adoption credits, savings bond, interest, social security benefits in some cases all of these items have some different tax treatments if you're filing separately rather than jointly. So, you know, things you want to be aware of if you fall into one of those buckets that where that might impact you.
0: So John, what are some of the other maybe additional things that people need to really think about when talking about filing separately versus maybe file jointly? Actually, we should probably even dig into some of the benefits or of filing jointly because the IRS is favorably, giving you a lot of favorable rules or deductions, credits to filing jointly. Maybe we dig in maybe a little bit on that and then round it out with some additional things that maybe they need to know on if they are going to try to file separately.
1: Yeah. So, you know, in addition to all of the other, you know, detriments uh, that we just talked about uh, that we're avoiding by filing jointly, you know, there are some things like we mentioned earlier, uh, you know, around some of the tax brackets and how they're structured, we're you where know, sometimes filing jointly will provide, you know, a tax benefit there as well. Obviously, one of the, the big areas that we see is that, you know, if clients have you know, spouses with unequal incomes. Especially, you know, this is where filing jointly a lot of times provides a really big benefit because if you have one spouse that's a really high income earner and another spouse that's not quite as high, just the averaging of those incomes can result in, you know, much lower overall tax liability um, by averaging the two together. So, you know, honestly, that's where we see a lot of the the benefit overall for clients and and why, you know, marry filing separately in a lot of cases doesn't make as much benefit.
0: Yeah, and and what I'll do is I'll make sure that we kind of push out some graphs, if you will, not only on the website at financialresidency.com, specifically talking, you know, this file joint and separate, but also post some on Instagram. You can follow me at financialresidency. So you can kind of see some of these pieces that we're talking through because it's hard to actually quantify and put these, you say all these numbers on air if we were to go through and give examples and then to be able to see how that actually flows think would be a little bit tough. But as you're running the numbers, right, we've said that a few times, like what other pieces would they be running? Like what else are they maybe missing? Are they going to be looking at? Is there anything else that we're essentially leaving out of this conversation that if someone wanted to actually go do this themselves, which I pat you on the back, that is something I know I personally don't like want to sign up for because I know this is a lot of work for probably very little effort or return. But what else maybe are we missing, John? And I'll make sure that I include some of the graphics.
1: Yeah. So in order to do the analysis, some software will help you out with that. But you do really have to make sure your input is clean and that you're attributing the income and deductions to the right, you know, either taxpayer or spouse in this case. And, you know, that's what's going to make the big difference overall when you're comparing the two filing methods. So, you know, just be sure you're being diligent with that. And then, you know, we alluded to it a little bit earlier, but on the itemized deduction front, you know, that's those edge cases where, you know, married filing separately does sometimes come out on top. You really do want to analyze the allocation of itemized deductions across spouses and see if there's some play there. You know, medical expenses, like we talked about earlier, a little bit easier to conceptualize, you know, where those need to go with the taxpayer spouse. But even things like mortgage interest and real estate taxes you know, we see in a few cases where you know it can make sense. You know, if one spouse truly is paying for all of the home ownership expenses, and we've got a clear path and show that you know they're the only one with their name on the mortgage, they're the only one on the deed, they are paying all of the expenses from their checking account. There is sometimes a case that we can make potentially to shift some of those itemized deductions to one spouse or another. You want to be careful with that stuff. I, you know, I would say you know get some advice from your CPA before doing that. But you know, there are some edge cases like that that uh, you know having some help to decide uh, you know which way to do it would be helpful. We probably should
0: have started with a little bit of a definition on what a standard deduction is versus what an itemized deduction is. So why don't you break out just those two? That way we can make it a little more clear if someone was kind of lost in that translation piece though.
1: So, you know, the IRS allows everybody to take a standard deduction, regardless of what type of expenses you have. You know, it's either 12400 I believe, uh, here for 2020 for individuals or double that for married so you get that deduction no matter what type of expenses you have. Then we compare that to your itemized deductions. If your itemized deductions are more, you take your itemized deductions. If they're less, then you take the standard deduction.
0: And what would be an itemized deduction, right? Because one of the things, and we'll talk about this in a future show around charitable contributions, we see a lot of kind of mix up on, but what are some examples of itemized deductions and how realistic that? someone, a physician or physician family would actually need to itemize versus just take the standard?
1: A lot of changes in 2018 with the TCGA tax law changes here. So we won't go into the history of of how we got here. But the long story short is, you know, there's a couple buckets of itemized deductions that we're looking at. So medical expenses are one of them. Mortgage interest taxes state and local taxes which is both your income taxes as well as your real estate taxes and then the last one the last big one being charitable contributions so those are that kind of make up your field of potential itemized deductions and then there's some rules there's spiky rules about you know what you can and can't deduct but what we find is with the tax law changes you know a lot of people are shut out from itemizing unless you own a home and have a good amount of mortgage interest or if you're really charitable inclined and that's because there's a cap on All of your state and local taxes at $10,000. So, you know, when we look at that and compare that to the standard deduction, you got to have something else to deduct besides just your state taxes and your real estate taxes to be able to get over the hump.
0: Yeah. Not to be political by any means, but this was Trump's tax plan that was not on a postcard, right? He didn't put us out of business, right? But that $10,000 cap is a real, real hit to the high cost living areas, which typically have been on the coasts, which are typically going to be blue states. So that was a very tough hit for that. But they doubled the standard deduction. I mean, there's lots of things most people you found, right, that actually received a tax cut. Like we all are paying less. It's just depending on which bucket you're pulling from. But to be honest, the net is what I care about. Did I pay them less? Yes or no. And I know that we did. I would assume that everyone for the most part fell into the bucket of getting a tax cut. but that $10,000 was a big ouch for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I I, I think the majority of our clients ended up with a tax cut. You know, overall, there's certainly those cases that, uh, you know, people ended up a little worse, but that, you know, that's the case whenever you, uh, you adjust the tax law in some way and there's always winners and losers.
0: Yeah. One of the things, John, this isn't necessarily about joint versus filing separate, but we've had a few people reach out and one of them is actually clients of ours where they've delayed getting married because of their student debt, which seems extremely sad. But then when you run the numbers, it's like, well, have the ceremony, just don't sign the paperwork for that. Because, you know, if you're both, let's say physicians, you're both high income earning, and you both have a half a million dollars of debt, there's a lot of benefits on the student debt side of how much you're going to get forgiven versus that. But if someone was single, and then they're like, well, maybe we'll get married and file a joint. Are there Big differences from a deduction credit standpoint that would push someone to actually just get married and, you know, file the paperwork versus like, oh, you should maybe stay single like on paper, if you will, legally.
1: It's actually a fun area of tax planning because we've had a lot of engaged couples come to us for tax advice. And uh, one of the things we get into really quick is, so when's the wedding date planned? And uh, we've had at least two fun cases over the past year or two where we've actually, at least fun for uh, maybe not the parents but for the taxpayer and spouse that we've encouraged to go ahead and maybe do the elopement before the end of the year because we could probably pay for your honeymoon with some tax savings and, and a lot of that comes from the tax brackets that we talked about earlier where you've got a higher income spouse and a lower income spouse and when you bring them together there can be a lot of tax savings there so you know getting married right at the end of the year sometimes uh, you know we can pay for the honeymoon with some tax planning which is fun stuff
0: yeah, it's fun, and John's getting all excited, and everyone else is like, oh, my goodness, like, you guys are such nerds. <laughs> I love it, though. Definitely money nerds, but you know what? Like, I truly I say it all the time. I don't want to pay the government more than I have to. Like, if that was us, I'd be like, absolutely, we were doing that, because, I mean, hey, if they're going to pay for a honeymoon trip, sure. Why not? Of
1: course, we can't uh, travel anywhere now, so the honeymoon would be locally uh, with your masks on outside the house, but, uh you know
0: yeah well those are the details okay we're not getting into those details but i look at this as you know proactive planning right it's not just tax i mean we talk about proactive financial planning all the time whether you're budgeting or looking at your insurance or the backdoor roth you know idea of investing all that's just actual tax planning that you're doing it's disguised as investments but really i mean we're talking about tax planning It's just being proactive with this stuff. So I appreciate you coming on, talking about joint versus separate because we get this question a lot. I know this is something that most people are not thinking through. Most of the time when we do the analysis, there's not enough savings from a file separately to really justify basically trying to play these tax games to have more forgiveness for your student debt. But obviously, as you brought up, there are some fringe cases where that could be the case. So either way, thank you so much for coming back on. And, you know, continuing this tax series with us for the month of August. And it's always a pleasure to hang out and drop some knowledge bombs.
1: All right. I appreciate uh, you inviting me back and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation.
0: Sounds good. Take care. All right. Well, hopefully that was really helpful. I know tax can be somewhat dry and John and I try to make this as fun as we can. Even just finance in general is tough to make fun especially taxes i think estate planning is kind of right up there with making this stuff fun but we are excited to have brought you this i know i don't do a ton of tax on the show specifically because i'm not a cpa and i don't like nerding out on this stuff i don't read the tax code like john does it doesn't excite me i get way more excitement reading other financial planning topics and walking through those and learning more about what's happening in the world of finance than i do digesting tax But thankfully, there are CPAs like John, and that's why we are so proud to have partnered with him on Physician Tax Advisors. So like I was mentioning in the beginning, if you are looking for a CPA that is going to do proactive planning and you want to actually try to save some money and not pay Uncle Sam everything, reach out to us at PhysicianTaxAdvisors.com. Our wait list is up, and we are going to be contacting everyone on there to let them know if they're in and how it's going to work. So we're really excited to have launched this this August. And would love and be honored to work with you. If this show has been helpful at all, please just share this with one physician or physician family. If we can help others understand personal finance, feel comfortable, you know, really arm them with the knowledge around personal finances. They will not one get hosed by potential insurance salesmen and people trying to part them with their hard earned money, but two, they're going to be more confident around their situation. So hopefully all of you are more confident in your finances or your learning and your financial acumen is increasing. As you've been listening to the show, there are hundreds of episodes for you to listen to. We talk about anything and everything around personal finance, really excited for all the changes that are coming to the show, to the website, to our community, which if you haven't joined us, please do so financialresidency.com community. And we have heard the feedback. Yes, I know taxes are a little tough to go through, especially five full weeks of them, but all of you have loved learning about one specific topic in personal finance for an entire month and do kind of a deep dive. So next month, we're changing around what we already had going. We are changing it to be around term and disability insurance. So we're going to be going through lots and lots of good stuff, just like we do with tax. We're going to be going through In doing a deep dive on term and disability insurance. So, we're going to be going over what you need to know and all the important stuff that it takes to protect that income that you've worked so hard to earn. So, thank you so much for being here. For all of you that have listened for a long time, we wouldn't be here without you. We love you. You guys are amazing. And for those that are new, please make sure you subscribe to the show and welcome to our community. So, you guys have a great week, and I'll see you on Friday. Cheers.